There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fight City Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Foos. Today we have a two-part episode. First, I will be joined with the FightCity.com contributor, Alden Chodash, and we'll be discussing the upcoming super bantamweight bout between Naoa Inoue and Stephen Fulton. We'll also be discussing the long-awaited for welterweight showdown featuring Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford. Later in the show, I will be joined with my own brother, Kevin Foos, to review the top-ranked card that took place in Oklahoma this past weekend. And we'll definitely be diving into that controversial decision featuring George Cambosis Jr. We hope you enjoy the show. Alden, my man, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Jeff? You know, wonderful, uh, especially since we have two huge fights. Uh, I think I, I, it's fair to say historically huge um, for historical context for boxing. Coming up this week and this weekend, I feel like we're now getting spoiled uh, as boxing fans. But uh, let's jump right into Inouye Fulton. Uh, Inouye is making a leap, right, from the bantamweight division to the super bantamweight or light featherweight division, depending on what term you're familiar with, uh, with no tune-up, but going for the guy who is arguably the guy to beat at the 122-pound division, Stephen Fulton. Uh, What do you think of this matchup? It's interesting that you mentioned that Inouye is moving up to 122 pounds. Uh, Fulton was on the verge of moving up to 126 to fight Brandon Figueroa a second time. So, you know, both fighters are very big. Actually, I'll, I'll take a step back. Stephen Fulton is very big for 122 pounds. Uh, Inouye, uh, he seems like he was very big for 118 because of how devastating his power was at 118, but he really isn't. I mean, Fulton is the bigger physical fighter in there. Uh, so I think that'll add a uh, very interesting uh, potential foil to what Inouye is used to it, in the sense that he just greatly overpowers his opposition. Um, I'm very excited for this fight because, as Inouye said, uh, you know, Fulton's never faced a fighter like me, and I've never faced a fighter like Fulton. And, and as I kind of look into both of their recent fights, I mean, they're, they're, he's, he's kind of right. I mean, it's very hard to find a uh, a a, a fight in which you can kind of pinpoint and say, well, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to have success because of how Fulton performed against X or how NOA performed against Y. Uh, it's both are just tremendous fighters and uh, they're, they're really being tested against kind of a new element against them. But that being said, uh, I do give NOA the nod in this fight because from what I've seen from him so far, uh, He's just a little more improvisational, I'd say. I think he thinks a little faster in there. He makes adjustments a little faster. Obviously, the explosive powers uh, to the head and body is always going to be to his advantage. Uh, It might not be as devastating in the early rounds as it was at 118, 115, and 108. But uh, I give him the edge. I think he might be able to score a knockout weight, particularly to the body, because I did see in the Figueroa fight, Fulton was broken down and hurt to the body in the latter rounds to his credit, he fought through it, but you know, with the kind of devastating power that Inouye brings, I'm not sure if he will be able to, uh, particularly with the hometown advantage and everything Inouye has going for him in terms of his momentum and, and budding superstar status. Right. I'm glad that you brought the, the mentioned Fulton was about to move up 
to the 126 yeah. division. Uh, he's obviously the bigger guy, right? In a way, is coming up here as a deficit for on his end. Looking at the size comparison, I guess, um, with Fulton in Inouye, Inouye has been in this kind of position before. Uh, so, you know, he's budding as an international superstar, uh, mm-hmm. getting a lot of attention since, what, 2017, 2018, 2019, definitely with the World Boxing Super Series uh, with his last mm-hmm. fight against uh, Nonito Donaire. But Nonito Donaire, right, he has similar, I want to say, attributes in terms of size that mm-hmm. Stephen Fulton has, yep. right? Uh, close to the same height, uh, I think just a little bit shorter on the reach advantage. So this, I, I want to say this isn't anything new for, in a way, uh, in terms of opponent for size disadvantage. However, Fulton brings a different capacity than Nonito Donaire, right? Yeah. Fulton, what is he averaging? A thousand punches per fight? <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Right. And so seeing, you know, I, I like that you mentioned that Fulton during the latter rounds against Brandon Figueroa was starting to wane a bit. However, no one has been able to ever take him out. Uh, yeah. He is undefeated. He does surprisingly only have like a 38% KO rate. So what, yeah. out of 21 of 22 opponents, only eight of them have ever been knocked out. Uh, does he have enough pop, I guess, is what I'm going to ask, to keep an aggressive in a way off of him for all 12 rounds? Well, I don't, I don't think it's going to be one punch that does it. Uh, I, I think he, he has the ability to present a lot of physical strength towards his opposition, even if he's not able to, uh, you know, really hurt his opposition, kind of like a Tim Bradley kind of, uh, not, not completely like Tim Bradley, but he has the ability to smother and uh, be physical like a Tim Bradley or a fighter like that. Uh, the thing about Nanito Donaire is a good point because Donaire has been a champion as high as 126. And I think he's even competed at 130, although I may be mistaken. Uh, Nonito Donaire, uh, is not as physical of a fighter as Stephen Fulton is. Um, he really relied on, you know, his crispy power uh, and, and boxing finesse uh, to to uh, have success in those higher weight divisions. Whereas Stephen Fulton, he's, you know, definitely knocking on the door of, of being a featherweight. I mean, it seems like uh, he's way too big to be a 122 fighter anyways. But it looks like his success would be more based on the physical uh, attributes that he brings to the table in terms of his strength when he needs to. And he could also box when he needs to. So um, I'm not sure if any one punch is going to really get Inouye's respect in the sense that Inouye is going to have to change up and and just stay on his back foot or or, um, or what have you. But I am interested to see how his ability to kind of maul Inouye in spurts and fight on the inside and and use his advantage and physical strength uh, will cause in a way to, uh, have to make adjustments. Yeah, fair. Do you think, uh, well, let me ask you this in terms of previous opponents for both of them, which opponents have best prepared both in a way and Fulton for this specific moment? I think definitely Donaire is, I mean, when you watch the, the first fight with Donaire, you can really see in a way have to overcome adversity. I mean, obviously the, the, uh, the orbital injury early on was, was highly significant. Uh, the fact that Donaire is a very crafty, gifted boxer puncher with a huge punch, uh, that's another obstacle that he had to overcome. Uh, really, for a fight like this, in which, you know, in a way, is said that they've never really faced each other's style, uh, you have to look for the, the type of opposition that caused them to have to make the most adjustments. And I think Donaire 
you know, really forced that side out of Inouye. And, and uh, Inouye, I think he, you know, emerged with flying colors and, uh, you know, came back in the second fight and, and, you know, put an exclamation mark on it and really showed his development as a result of their first fight and all the adversity it brought. Uh, probably for the same reasons, I'd say Brandon Figueroa, although, you know, he's nothing stylistically like Inouye. Uh, just the, the, the strength, uh, you know, the pressure, uh, the fact that he did have Fulton kind of in a bit of trouble late and Fulton did have to dig deep, you know, probably something he's going to have to do again if he wants to come out victorious against Inouye. Uh, but I think what Fulton hasn't faced is a fighter that's nearly as quick as Inouye, which is, I think, going to be one of the X factors in there is that, um, you know, he's, he's used to being able to, uh, be the ring general and dominate with his advantages physically, uh, which which he uh, you know has a great deal of. But in a way, his quickness, uh, mentally, physically, uh, his footwork uh, that's a that's a new attribute that I think is going to throw him off a little bit. Yeah, you know, I I was listening to uh, Mike Tyson's podcast earlier uh, this mm-hmm. week and and listening to how he. I don't know if it's just hyperbole, right? Uh, the, the fans and everyone else, you know, we are all entitled to our opinions, but he is really sold on Inouye, the monster, and saying that he's yeah. even better than Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> so I was curious, like, you know, this is a fight that, you know, if I was Stephen Fulton, I don't even know if if I would have taken this fight in terms of uh, just legacy, but he is willing to leave his Philadelphia area, yeah, travel across the world and go into the monster's backyard to face this guy when arguably could he not have had any way come to him as he is the belt, the holder of two to the belt in the division. Uh, how was that possibly going to affect him come fight night? He's in the backyard of the monster. I don't know how many fans are traveling internationally to go watch Fulton fight, but what type of effect that could that, could that hinder his performance or could that uh, motivate him even more for a performance of a lifetime? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I give him a lot of credit for taking on, in a way, uh, first of all, just in a way in general, and second of all, in a way in his backyard. I mean, I, I had a lot of optimism. Uh, well, not optimism. I, I was very hopeful that this fight would happen earlier this year, uh, but I didn't think it would happen quite this quickly and, and under these circumstances in, in a way's backyard. So I think Fulton, to his credit, has a lot of confidence in his ability to have taken this fight. Um now, I am starting to get a little concerned based on some of the allegations Fulton has been throwing about uh, VADA testing and, uh, and, and Inouye's hand wraps. And it, it just seems like there, there is possibly, you know, if the reports are correct, there is possibly some second thoughts maybe on Fulton's mind that, uh, that, that, that might be indicative of the fact that, you know, he, he might be realizing that this is a very, very big challenge for him to defend his two titles uh when he could have taken the fight you know closer to home at least domestically um you know he's still he's not he's not quite the superstar that or he's not he's not a superstar at all I mean he's really he's really making such a career high payday because of Inouye's status um instead of what he's been able to develop on his own I think he's a tremendous fighter I actually think he's close to the top 10 pound for pound if not right at the end of the top 10 pound for pound based on the accomplishments he has so far uh but he's not a household name and um he's taking a big risk moving over so you know we'll have to see how it plays out I mean I I think if it wasn't for some of these uh these allegations that he's throwing over 
you know, I would, I would say that I'm not concerned with him uh, psychologically going into this fight because of the fact that he's taken this fight and putting himself at such risk to begin with when he could have just moved up to 126 and fought a guy like Brandon Figaro who he's beaten already or just tried to uh, move himself in position to unify the division, become undisputed at 122 against MJ Akhmedaliev, who I think he would beat uh, with uh, at least relative ease. I don't think that would be the toughest fight for him. Right, yeah. Didn't MJ lose to to Palas? No, you might be right. <laughs> so I was so used. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think he did. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the yeah, crazy was, part. As an American, yeah. and when we get to these lighter divisions, it's one of those. <laughs> oh, those small guys. Like, uh, what division are they in? Eh, it doesn't really matter. And then they go over to Japan, where it's such. Uh, like, I don't want to say payday, but yeah, essentially payday, where they get a lot more garnered, a lot more respect. Um, mm. This is such a huge matchup. Uh, but for like you said, Stephen Fulton to to go over there, it's such a a lot of credit to him. Kudos to him. You know, he could have made it a little bit easier on himself fighting domestic to unify the entire division, which determining for for in a way, there's a lot riding in terms of he. It's a major legacy win for him if he were to to do it now conquer a fourth division. In terms of Fulton taking a loss here, right? Where does that put him? I guess in terms of his legacy or. Uh, essentially another payday later does he just kind of get pushed back to the end of the line does he possibly make another jump facing another belt holder i think i think anyone that's you know being objective uh would have to say that fulton deserves kudos win or loss in this situation if he loses to in a way i mean obviously we'll have to see how he loses what he looks like if he just goes in there and just tries to survive that's a much different scenario than if he goes out on a shield and uh you know makes a good account of himself overseas uh but you know he's young he's you know still i mean he's he's an excellent fighter but i still think he's developing to the point that he's not quite at his peak yet uh i think 126 is you know pretty i, I don't want to say wide open but there's uh you know there's l- much less formidable challenges up there than than in a way at 122 would be uh if if the fight with in doesn't go so well in terms of rematch prospects um you know i I think under unless he really you know just goes over there and and fights to survive which i don't expect from him i think he's too proud to do that uh i I think i think there are prospects uh in the future for him maybe even you know the rematch that he was buying himself in position for against brandon figueroa for maybe what was the wbc interim belt or maybe a vacant wbc belt i kind of lose track but at 126 i think he could you know put himself in position for a title shot uh with with not too much time in between no fair yeah good assessment you know I, and i may i add a small quip is that there are too many damn belts yeah. <laughs> to possibly be won by all these guys sanctioning fees but that's another uh issue that uh you know I, I think the rest of the boxing universe is trying to grapple with uh in terms of both of these fighters right top of their game best in the business what are, let's say, the two keys for Inoue to win or the two keys for Fulton to win this fight? Uh, I mean, and I feel like it's uh, definitely becoming a cliche when, when predicting these fights. But obviously, whoever makes adjustments better. I mean, you can always say that when you get two guys at the top of their game undefeated in their prime. Uh, obviously, um, I don't. I don't see this as the type of matchup where one guy is going to be able to roll over the other. I mean, there's going to be some adversity on both sides in which they're going to have to overcome if they want to win this fight. Um, keys to victory. I, it, it's 
there are a lot of X factors that could uh, make it very difficult to win, such as, you know, if Inouye's power is just too overwhelming for Fulton, you know, that that would be probably an insurmountable uh, type of adjustment that he could make. Um, I think in a way, if he wants to win this fight, uh, well, let me just go out there and say, I, I do think he is going to win this fight. And I think, um, you know, Fulton would have to be in a position to fight the perfect fight if he wants to win this fight. So really on the direction of Fulton, uh, I, I think he has to kind of make it physical in spurts. Um, he has to be able to smother in a way, make it uncomfortable for him in spurts. Obviously he can't be in the pocket too long or he puts himself at risk for some devastating counters or shots to the body. Um, he needs to be able to control the center of the ring and, and, and be the ring general when he's not, uh, pressing the fight and smothering in a way he needs to be able to use that jab, which he has a very good jab. Uh, we need to see the best of his game on the outside and the best of his game on the inside. Uh, you know, I kind of think of kind of a hybrid performance between how he looked against a guy like Angelo Leo, who he smothered uh, to, to to win impressively, and, and how he looked in spots against Brandon Figueroa, who he outboxed at, at a distance, or Daniel Roman, who he outboxed for 12 rounds. Uh, basically, he needs to be able to pull both of those when he has to and uh, and kind of keep in a way, keep him guessing, uh, keep him from getting set up and getting too comfortable. Because, you know, in a way, once he gets too comfortable, once he figures out his opponents, he'll usually just rolls over them. And it's usually the power that that spells the end of it. Awesome. You jumped ahead there. I was going to ask you, all right, hey, we, if we're betting people, who are you going to take? No, I think I think in a way is, is probably the safe bet, either by decision or, or, or late stoppage. Uh, it was hard for me to come to that. I mean, I, I didn't completely jump to that pick, but I think uh, I think the more I think of it, the more I watch both fighters. Uh, yeah, Fulton has to fight the perfect fight to win. And uh, I just favor in a way at this stage in their careers. I would have to agree with you on that assessment. Uh, now, changing gears just a little bit, we have another huge super fight happening that's finally <laughs> here, right? I think all of us have been salivating this moment, and many of us were maybe even gave up that this fight was actually going to happen, especially with certain words that Crawford said, I don't need him in order to secure yeah. my legacy. Spence versus Crawford. If not the biggest fight of the year, is finally happening next weekend on Saturday. How excited are you, Alden? No, I'm I'm tremendously excited. It's it's really one of the best years for boxing in a very very long time, at least as far as I can think back. I mean, how often can we have this same discussion about Inouye Fulton, a fight of that caliber, and, and Crawford Spence in the same week? <laughs> and then if you think about it, Crawford Spence might might not even be the the highest grossing pay per view of the year because we had. Ryan Garcia and, and Tank Davis earlier this year. Not that Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia was was anywhere near the type of matchup that this is, but you know, it just goes to show how many great big crossover appeal type matchups uh, boxing is delivering. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I you know I've I like you have kind of lost faith that this fight was going to happen. Uh, comments that Crawford made and just you know the fact that we've been waiting for this many years. Uh, you know, a similar feel that I had when it was 2009, 2010, Pacquiao Mayweather, of course. Um, but I, I think this fight's going to deliver a lot more than Pacquiao Mayweather did in the sense that uh, stylistically, I think it's more compelling. And also, I think they're both uh, in their prime, unlike Pacquiao and Mayweather when they faced off. 
Right. I'm just very glad that we didn't get have to postpone another year for this fight to happen. That was yeah. uh, one major concern that I had. I was like, please do not tell me that they're going to wait so long that we're going to get a Pacquiao Mayweather performance to where we all wasted our hard-earned money to just watch <laughs> two guys at a geriatric stage of their career have yeah. this final face-off. Uh, looking at the, both of their styles, you know, they both have very similar opponents. Uh, we've been seeing nonstop promotion of the people who have faced both Crawford and Spence and how they handled it or how they were defeated by both of these top tier boxers. Taking a look at their contrasting abilities, right? We have Spence, tremendous boxer, part of the 2012 U.S. Olympic team, devastating body puncher. Versus Crawford, uh, who was on the, on, at the precipice of joining the U.S. Olympic team, but then took a different route. Eventually relinquished his uh, relationship with top rank to go off to become a free agent and finally making this this fight happen, but also being known as a devastating finisher. Mm -hmm. Who, how did these two styles, I guess, contrast one another to provide us such a compelling fight? I think there's a lot of different ways that this fight can play out. Um, I think... Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we're going to see a lot of different adjustments being made. I think we're going to see a lot of different uh, aspects and, and elements of their style that we haven't previously seen, uh, at least too often with them, because they're so used to you know having such a technical upper hand on their opponents that we don't see certain dimensions of their game that is going to have to come out if either of them wants to win this fight on Saturday. Uh, I yeah, I, I just see this fight creating a lot of different layers in both of their styles, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited for it. With that being said, I think speed is going to have a lot to do with uh, why I I believe Crawford is going to win the fight. I think he's much faster. Uh, I think he thinks a lot faster. Um, And I think he has a decent amount of pop. And, you know, he's not as physically strong as Earl Spence, but he's a crispier puncher in my in my opinion, and I don't think that's going to result in a knockout or anything, or or even uh, you know knockdowns. Uh, but I think he's going to have Spence's respect. I think uh, he'll be able to counter punch Spence and uh, and get his respect pretty early on. And the speed and uh, the fact that you know I think whereas Spence is more, I, I kind of I think of Spence more as like a Marvin Hagler type. Uh, he's he's mm-hmm. uh, He's a more modern version of Hagler, of course, but in the sense that he's very consistent and he's very, uh, you know, very akin to mentally breaking down his opponents with with continued pressure. You know, he, he kind of goes more off muscle memory than than uh, than Terrence Crawford does in the sense that Crawford's like in a way is a little more improvisational and he's uh, um, he just thinks and, and punches a little quicker. So I think, you know, if I had to this this fight, to be honest, uh the results never, I'm kind of putting myself out there, but the results never been too much in question for me. I've always kind of favored Crawford in a head to head for years if they were to face off. I and mean, I would love to see the matchup and I still greatly looking forward to it, but I, I really have confidence that Crawford's style is going to, uh, and his ability is going to uh, enable him to victory. That's a really good assessment. I've always leaned more towards the Crawford, especially with, uh, I guess, some of their previous fights. Um, for example, let's say Spence versus, uh, oh no, I'm slipping his mind, Porter. Yep. <laughs> Spence versus Porter, right? I, I watched that entire fight in one of the IMAXs around this local area. Very highly compelling, right? Action-packed. 
And then, of course, we get to the very end and, and Porter saying the reason uh, Porter's father saying the reason why he lost was he's not following the game plan. But I'm like, your son put up a hell of a fight. Obviously, the decision didn't go his way. But then now watching uh, Porter versus Crawford and then dad is throwing in the towel. We should not do this. I do not want to see my son get hurt. And just seeing mm-hmm. two, that that one loss or two losses for Porter in two different contrasting styles there. You lost the decision on one end. The other decision, your father was uh, afraid for your life and your physical well-being. So I've always leaned a little bit more towards Crawford. And I think it's just because of that devastating uh, ability for him to be such a strong finisher. Now, I know Spence and Crawford have had a few words. Uh, this The promotion from both of their ends have been kind of uh, mellow, I guess. <laughs> yeah. They don't yeah, do a lot too, of trash talking. Yeah, they're too respectful of one another. Right, which I think... It, it speaks a lot of their confidence in their own abilities. They don't need to do a lot of brash trash talking. They they've known each other. They've been circling each other for such a long time and they really do respect one another. Uh, I do remember Spence saying, Hey, you got clipped by Gamboa at some point, right? When uh, Crawford wasn't at the welterweight division quite yet. Do you think, you know, and then maybe I could ask the same question of Spence was not able to put out uh, a blown up Mikey Garcia. And so looking at punch dexterity or resilience for one another, right? Who might have the upper hand in that situation? Yeah, I never really gave too much credence to the whole, you know, you've been clipped by Gamboa, you have a questionable chin. I mean, if if you've been at the highest level of the sport for as long as Terrence Crawford or Earl Spence has been, I mean, you're you're going to get stunned at some point. And I mean, what what a lot of people overlook when they talk about Crawford being hurt by Gamboa or allegedly hurt by Gamboa is Crawford stopped him in the same round. You know, that was one punch early in the round and then Crawford, you know, his leg did a little thing and then he was right back on top and had him out of there. That was the best version of Gamboa at 135. Uh, you know, Spence uh, is, is not immune to being clipped either really uh i mean he's you know he uh i thought he was wobbled a little bit by by Jordanus ugas in his last fight and there's nothing wrong with that i mean these are very strong fighters you know i think uh even danny garcia has has had some you know significant shots eye catching shots against him uh you know nothing to really put him in danger of of being hurt or, or knocked down but you know he's he's taken some big shots as well i mean it just goes along with it's part of the territory of being a top level fighter. Uh, Crawford, you know, he was hurt against, uh, or he was stunned at least against Cavaluskas, the monster, and um, came back to win. So I, I don't really view either of them as having a suspect chin. Uh, I don't, I don't think that that's going to uh, manifest itself in, in some significant vulnerability uh, that's going to have some bearing on this fight. Fair point, right? I, you know, I. I only ask that question in terms of because it's such a huge fight, right? Uh, this could make or break careers. So I know Spence, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe maybe even Crawford have both discussed the idea of maybe moving up to the light middleweight division, to the 154 yeah. division, right? And I, I, I find the conversation that we're having today regarding uh, Inouye Fulton and Spence Crawford, we're catching these guys right before they may bump up. Mm-hmm. To a new division, right? To a new landscape. Uh, for Errol Spence, uh, I guess if we shift a little bit to the people helping them prepare uh, them for this fight, Derek James has a large stable of fighters. Yeah. And so I guess for legacy defining fights, 
you know, if Errol Spence were to win this one, there's a, a, a tumbling, a, a domino effect of success to be given to Derek James, who would he possibly be fight coach of the year with a win like this? I think definitely. I mean, he's got the opportunity to, uh, <laughs> he's got, he's got another mega fight later this year with Jermel Charlo and Canelo Alvarez. Uh, and he's, you know, had his huge share of success earlier this year. You know, I think, uh, Derek James is kind of becoming the trainer to go to. There's a reason Brian Garcia picked him to go to. Uh, he's got a very steady stable of fighters, and he's, he's not at, yet at the level where he's becoming like the celebrity trainer in the sense that you know people just uh, people just go to him when their career is in crisis, and he doesn't. You know, he has a very steady stable of guys. He's been with Earl Spence and the Charlos for for a very long time, and uh, I have a lot of respect for that. And then on the other end, we have uh, Bomack yeah. with Crawford, right? Uh, possibly a huge a, a career, again, a career-defining win for the coach as well as the fighter. Um, how do we see this, I guess, playing out in terms of the welterweight division as a whole? These are the two guys at the very top tier of the division. And then we have a couple other guys coming up along the way, right? We have the big name right now that, uh, depending on which fan you talk to, right, the big person to avoid is Jerron Enos out of Philadelphia, yeah. right? How does this win or this fight define the welterweight division as a whole? I don't. I don't know. I I don't see either of them being too eager to fight Jerome Booth and his, uh or, or or anyone else in the welterweight division for that matter. Next, I think the way I see this playing out, if they don't have a, a fight that that screams rematch, or or maybe even trilogy, if if they're that evenly matched against each other, which is a possibility, uh, I I see both of them moving up to one fifty four. Or even north of that. I mean, I've even heard rumors from credible sources about, you know, Canelo's three-fight deal, and I, I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Uh, Canelo's three-fight PVC deal, one of them including Earl Spence. Uh, wow. I was surprised at who, you know, the 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 the, the, credi- uh, the credibility of the sources that was even pondering that situation. Uh, but Earl Spence is, uh, you know, he's a very, very big welterweight. He's getting towards the end of his career, and he's uh, obviously looking to become a multi-division champion before it's too late. You know, it's it's not quite the approach that Marvin Hagler took, in which he was perfectly satisfied just being the middleweight champion. Uh, Earl Spence wants to, um, you know, move up. He's obviously very big for the division. I think he would fit just in at 154. But with Jermel Charlo moving up to face Canelo at, at 168, uh you know, the division is pretty wide open. I mean, he's got Tim Zhu, but that's not really a marquee fight. Uh, you could say the same thing for Terrence Crawford. I mean, there's uh, there's a big void at 154 that can be filled. Obviously, I'd love to see the winner or either of them fight Jerome Boussanis at 147 to defend the undisputed championship. Uh, but I'm not sure. I think Ennis might just be too dangerous and uh, and, you know, not big enough uh, in superstar status uh, for either of them to want to take that risk. But hopefully I'm wrong because I'd love to see them fight Ennis next. Right. Yeah. I'm a, I'm really big on the Philadelphia guy. Uh, Ennis, such a dangerous threat to, to the entire division as a whole. Uh, now, let me ask you this in terms of historical context for such a big fight that we're having this weekend, where does this fall in terms of historical significance? That's a really uh <laughs> that's a tough question to ask. I mean, there there are reasons why 
this is a better matchup on paper than Mayweather Pacquiao. I mean, that's just in closest proximity to, you know, what they call fight of the century type, type, uh, type affairs. I mean, this is for all four belts. This is the undisputed championship. Both are undefeated. Both are in their prime. Um, and and uh, stylistically, the outcome, at least for many people, is more in doubt. Whereas I think most people would have favored Mayweather, uh, or did favor Mayweather going into the Pacquiao fight. I mean, the odds on this fight are very, very even. I think three to two favorite uh, Crawford, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in that avenue. Uh, I think this is one of the best matchups at welterweight, maybe since Leonard Hearns won. Uh, Obviously, I got a you know a few decades to think between Leonard turned one and uh, and and Mayweather Pacquiao. Uh, no, actually, maybe De La Hoya Trinidad. I hate bringing that fight up because you know, it brings back such bad memories of of one of the biggest letdowns in boxing history, particularly uh, uh, let alone welterweight history. Um, but yeah, you could, you could definitely make a comparison uh, in terms of the the. Um, uh, the the styles, not even just the styles, but just like the the, the magnitude of the uh, the the contrasting styles. Uh, obviously, it's not as big of a fight as De La Hoya Trinidad was or, or Leonard Hearns was, but uh, you know this is another best fighting the best in their prime type of situation that we hope uh, boxing benefits from in in the form of a great fight. Couldn't agree more with you there, Alden. I, I think as to wrap it all up, I guess, as fight fans, specifically boxing fight fans, we are spoiled, uh, specifically within this year of 2023, uh, the amount of great fights, uh, unifiers that we are seeing, uh, regardless of all, you know, if I were to just briefly mention Circus Acts uh, of Tyson Fury <laughs> versus Ngannou. <laughs> yeah. But we, we are certainly spoiled, especially within this one week of July alone, with two super fights happening within five days of one another. Thank you so much, Alden, for joining us today on the Fight Civility Podcast, and I look forward to having continuing our conversation here down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, today, I'm joined with my own brother, Kevin Foose, to discuss Top Cranks card uh, over this past weekend in Oklahoma. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm uh, excited to talk about the fights that just happened uh, last night. Awesome. Without any further delay, I'm going to jump right into Troy Isle versus Antonio Todd. Uh, what did you think of this middleweight matchup? Uh, it was it was a good um, it was exciting to watch. It was uh just watching Troy progress because I, I I met him in 2019 in Alexandria when I started going to the gym down there. Um, so just to watch him progress from the amateurs to the professionals, uh, it's been quite a treat. Um, he looked great. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to use here? Cerebral fighter. He, he just every fight he has. I'm sorry if you hear some background noise. That my son is here with me. Um, but uh, he's a very cerebral fighter. He, he. Every time, every fight he has, he shows something different. And this fight, it kind of, this fight, it kind of seemed that he was trying to show all the tools that he's acquired since going professional. Like defense was on point, punch selection, uh, the combinations, uh, go, uh, running like. Throwing combinations behind the jab. He looks great. Yeah, I really appreciated seeing him pu uh, punch out with the jab and then go directly to the body. Now, Antonio Todd is 14 and 8 uh, in his last 22 fights. 
Uh, he has been defeated uh, by Anthony Sims Jr., Kyron Davis, and Joseph Hicks most recently. Joseph Hicks uh, basically blew Antonio Todd out with the unanimous decision, uh, which only further shows that uh, Antonio Todd is actually very durable as an opponent. He's only been KO'd twice in his last 22 fights. Uh, so this was a really good developmental fight for Troy. I think it allows him to get rounds in, uh, experiment in the ring, kind of on the job training uh, with stuff he's learning from Coach K. Karoma in the gym specifically. Uh, he's now moved on to 9-0. and uh, But hopefully, you know, uh, we'll, we get to see Troy use a lot more of the tools that he's learning in the gym uh, against hopefully more top-tiered opponents uh, as a middleweight, right? The, the middleweight division, is a very it's a pretty strong division right and so hopefully we can just get uh, find a way to entice other boxers to get in there with troy um troy you know is filling into his uh manliness uh so to speak uh, filling out mu muscular wise so hopefully we're also able to see a little bit more of a development in his power right because some it looks like those muscles aren't necessarily translating to knockouts uh so hopefully we, we see them go back to the board to see how he can set up some knockouts uh, however, nothing to take away from Antonio Todd. Uh, again, very strong opponent, uh, but drops down to 14 to nine. And Troy now goes to 10 and 0, uh, undefeated. Uh, moving on, I'd like to discuss Keyshawn Davis, which unfortunately seems like the toxicity of social media plays a huge factor into this. But people are calling him overrated because he wasn't able to get his opponent, a very respectable opponent, Francesco Patera uh, from Belgium, a 28 and 3 out of there and only went to the scorecards. Kevin, what did you, how do you assess Keyshawn Davis, uh, Davis's most recent performance? Um, he gave himself what a C minus or a C plus to a B minus uh, last night, post fight interview. Um, I've same with Troy. So when I went down there in Alexandria in 2018 or 19, I, I'd come across Keyshawn and I've known, I've known about him because of his amateur pedigree, uh, so to see him go to the professionals, um, it seemed like you said with Troy earlier, he's like coming into like his like growth. Like he he looked much more muscular than the last time I saw him out, as I remember. Um, so liberal fighter, just like I said in the previous fighter, Troy, he punch selection was great. Uh, book work on point defense. Like you probably saw that first round. Was it the first round? I can't remember what round it was where he he. Uh, <laughs> was they commenting the Floyd Mayweather shoulder roll and then he countered and it knocked him down in the I think the first round. Um he he just watching him just do his thing in the ring, you can tell he's very comfortable there. He's like he's like, you know, uh he's a subject matter expert in the ring, just like a shark is the hunting the prey of the sea. He he just knows what he's doing in there. I think the only thing I had issue with was it looked like he was toying around a little too much. After one of the rounds, he kind of was like running around the ring with his arms out like he was an airplane. I kind of didn't like, get that, but I like I said, like he's very comfortable in the ring, so he he must not felt threatened by his opponent that much. Um, but I, like you said, I think everybody was kind of expecting. I myself included was expecting him to kind of get it out early, but they went the full ten rounds, which is good for him. He gained experience. It's the first time he's ever gone ten rounds, and you could tell that his conditioning's on point as a you know, a, t a world title, like once he becomes a world title holder, because he looked completely fine after the fight. Like he was, wasn't out of breath. He didn't look exhausted. He looked like he could go another 10 rounds. So whatever he's doing for conditioning, he needs like ev every professionally. So take a page out of his book, but he looked great in the fight regardless. Um, 
His opponent kind of surprised me in the aspect of he was from Belgium. Every time I come across a European fighter from a country that I've, I've that's not really known for having, you know, uh, like highly skilled boxers like that. I didn't expect. I didn't when they said Belgium. I was like, he's from Belgium. I was very confused. Like I've heard European fighters from like the UK, off like uh, France once in a while, but Belgium it just kind of threw me off. Well, I, I will say, you know, in terms of conditioning, uh, Keyshawn Davis being a former Olympian, right? We there is an expectation I think regarding Olympians, right? Their conditioning needs to be on point. They should not be gassed after a fight. Uh, he still is learning on the job, though. Uh, as a young professional, I mean, he is chomping at the bit, I think, to get a title fight. Uh, however, I think with this latest performance, he is humbling himself a little bit with the C plus B minus uh, performance. But Fran- Fran- Francesco P- Patera is no pushover yet from Belgium, uh, did win his last 10 fights. Uh, most of them were in Belgium. One of them, I believe, was in the UK. Uh, but he did an interview with Ring Magazine looking to face the top guys in the division, uh, one of them being Kim Bosa's Jr. However, Throughout those 10 fights, right, COVID-19 did play a huge role. So, of course, getting him to travel internationally, uh, either whether that's to Australia or here to the States for any of our our guys, top guys in the division, would, I think, put a damper on those aspirations. However, he was called up. He did accept the fight with Keyshawn Davis. Uh, Keyshawn Davis does improve to now, uh, what, 9-0. and uh, Francesco Patera drops down to 28-4. and Hopefully, though, we do get to see uh, Keyshawn Davis do a step up in competition. I think the Andy Cruz fight, uh, the Cuban who defeated Keyshawn Davis in the Olympics, uh, who just recently signed with Matchroom and uh, just had his pro debut, I think is a little bit still too early. Uh, of course, Eddie Hearns and promotions, I think they're going to wait on that fight. They're going to let it marinate a little bit, as tradition is with boxing, uh, before those two get in the ring. But hopefully, we could see Keyshawn Davis step up the competition a little bit, see maybe if he is able to perform against a top 10 guy, for example, Raymond. Miratala, Frank Martin, maybe the ghost who's with Derek James out of Spence's uh, gym and maybe, or Mexico, Mexico's William Zapata, maybe he'll step up to the plate. And uh, of, of course there is a lot of pressure with these guys who are on the rise, right? Kind of like a Berlanga, you know, you're, you're getting all these knockouts, you're doing it very flashy. And unfortunately, if, if you have a tougher than expected opponent and you don't get that knockout or that flashy performance, people start to question it. I don't think that's the case with Keyshawn Davis. Uh, still a superstar to rise, especially since he's in the gym with Kay Karoma, Troy Eilie, Shakur Stevenson. I think we're going to see a lot of good stuff from this kid. Uh, moving on to the main event, which unfortunately uh, seems to have drawn a lot of criticism. Uh, mind you, warranted criticism. I just feel bad for George Cambosis, who did defeat uh, by unanimous decision, uh, Maxi Hughes. Uh, the Englishman, uh, Cambosis now moved on to 22 and two. Maxi Hughes drops to 26, uh, seven and two. Uh, Kevin, what did you think of that that fight? The, um, <clears throat> the word robbery, you know, you hear that a lot when someone that you expect to win loses, and people in the boxing community, you know, like a lot of people, are like, oh, everything's, you know, if you're a guy loses, you can't just say robbery, this and that, blah, like. The Lomachenko Haney fight. I didn't want to say it was a robbery, but I like me personally on that fight. I thought Lomachenko won, but you know that's it's the sport is very subjective. But with this this fight, oh my gosh, yeah, that was yeah. You got to use the word robbery. Like, come on now. The one of the scorecards was what one one seventeen. The I'm terrible with math. I can't remember what the number would be. Um, but and if that was in favor of Gambosis, I'm like, who? What was he watching? Like, I have no idea what this guy was watching. That 
he, the Hughes guy was, and we're talking about knockouts, right? Like the sport of boxing, that's what everybody wants to see is a knockout. It's like NASCAR. Everybody wants to see a crash. But when you actually see the style and the, the artistry and the actual sport of boxing hit and don't get hit, and that's what Hughes did to Gambosis. I'm very confused as how they could say Gambosis won. I am sad for Gambosis getting the short end of the stick all the time when he's like, I don't know why he thought it, this would be a good opponent because he just lost to Devin Haney twice in a row. He has the kind of same style as Hughes in regards like, He's a pure boxer. Like his whole point is like to hit and not get hit and counter when you do throw. And Kambosis just looked like a, uh, he looked like, you know, he looked like, uh, you know, I'm going to give him his due credit. He kind of looked like a tiger. Tigers, apex predators. The success rate of a tiger in the highest percentage of getting an actual meal is 20%. And they usually average between that and 10%. He, I think on this aspect, he was that 8%. He should have. It should have been an L for him. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for Cambosis. When he fought Tiafimo, I think I was like one of the only guys to say that he was going to beat Tiafimo Lopez. But and then when he did, I was to the moon for him. But like, you know, yeah. Sometimes you got to be a realist. Like, I, I the, does he is he is he still like in within the top ten of you know his weight class? I I don't know. Like, I do feel terrible for the Hughes guy. He he. Just, Commented saying he kept felt kind of silly wearing the cowboy hat after the after the losses. I feel kind of silly wearing this in here, you know. I I think everybody thought that Cambosis lost, but I mean Cambosis in the post fight interview stuck stuck to his gun saying no. I thought I won. I thought it was a fair judgment. This and that. Um, I think they asked him if he would give him a rematch, and you know he kind of like beat around the bush about it. If I was him. The, if I was him and he wanted to be humble, he should have just straight up said it. But you know the fight game; you can't, you can't show, you can't save face like that. You gotta, you gotta stick with what, you know, you are, and you say you're the winner. So, um, overall, I honestly, to be totally realistic, I wouldn't recommend that anybody watch this fight unless they're trying to learn the sport about how to hit and not get hit. Watch Hughes. This is a great learning experience for guys that are trying to get into the, the trying to get into boxing. That's a great uh, film study. Just as long as you're not studying Kimbosis in that fight. Well, you said earlier you feel bad that Kimbosis is getting the short end of the stick. I mean, he got the the better end of the stick in this fight. Uh, he he won a controversial decision. There was that one card that was one seventeen to one eleven. Um, he was, I think, getting caught quite a bit. I do believe that the judges got the got it wrong with this fight. Right, uh, Maxie Hughes. He's already in his mid thirties. Uh, I already said his record was twenty six six and two. He definitely should have got the nod in this one. Uh, his left hand could eat the southpaw was reaching down the middle the whole night. Uh, he did drop Kimbosis. Uh, he did actually cut Kimbosis's right eye open. Uh, and then of course there was a the head accidental headbutt from Kimbosis to Maxi Hughes, which cut above made a cut above his left eye. However, Hughes was boxing beautifully, uh, counter punching, which is pretty much what I you know I, I really wasn't expecting that. However, watching his performance against Kid Galahad, uh, Maybe we should have had a better understanding that this is what his what, how he boxes. Um, he did defeat Kid Galahad back in December, winning the IBO title. Unfortunately, with this loss, uh, George Cambosis, uh, back in the win column now twenty twenty or twenty two and two receives the IBO belt. Um, it is quite I unfortunate. Will. This is the sport of boxing, however, right? Uh, 
I just do, I feel bad in terms of Kimbosa's getting short in the stick. He keeps ending up on these controversial decisions, uh, whether that's winning or losing. It's just hopefully the next fight for him is a win, except people were entertaining the idea of Kimbosa's versus uh, Tank Davis, or they even asked Shakur Stevenson, would you like to face Kimbosa's? And Shakur Stevenson was like, no, because I don't want to be on the bad end of a decision as well as, you know, this, this I don't want to be part of a controversial fight as well mm-hmm. as, you know, he would outland Kambosis and that would be a bad night for Kambosis. Uh, what were you going to yeah. say, Kev? Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I want to give Kambosis credit though, because, you know, I, <laughs> the Hughes guy, very slick, but he was doing a little, he wasn't being a little dirty. He landed two, I, at least I counted two straight elbows to Kambosis' face. And Kambosis, he didn't like say anything to the ref. He just ate it and then just kept pressing forward. But they were clear, dirty hits. Um, so I don't know if that was like a little, you know, this decision was karma on his ass because like they, any if anybody got hit with those, that it definitely it's like what is this UFC? I, well, I don't know if they throw elbows in UFC or whatnot, but he he landed two clean, dirty elbows, but the ref didn't say anything. So I don't know if the ref just didn't see it because of the angles, and then there was a headbutt, but uh, they were very very dirty. Um, but you know he he still ended up getting an L, uh, which is unfortunate. But he did box beautifully. And when you said Shakur Stevenson, that was funny because you, you probably saw the post-fight um, after the fight when he walked up and he gave his opinion to Kimbosis and then he straight up just started, you know, talking shit to him saying, I will beat you. I will beat your ass. I will take you out. Like, you don't want to get in the ring with me. Uh, right. I thought that was funny. Yeah. He said, and they, they did agree. Like, he, uh, Shakur did agree. Like, if nobody wants to fight him, he will take that fight against Kimbosis. If I was Kimbosis, I definitely would just stay away because, like, he... And that's it's it, he. I don't know why he's trying to pick a fight with Shakur Stevenson because he's he sparred with Pacquiao for many years. Pacquiao, like you know, Southpaw, but or yeah, Southpaw. But the thing is, like he, you can tell like he's not comfortable with Southpaws because he's only fought two Southpaws in his whole career, Cambosis. And now he's trying to pick a fight with one of the like best Southpaws that you can think of. I just don't understand where it's like he. I think he wants to. He like he has that omen of like he wants to get a controversial win. Or is it, which I don't ever see happening. I don't see him beating Shakur, but I don't know why he's trying to like egg that fight. I mean, part of it, I think, is a payday. Uh, I, I hate to be a little too harsh on Kambosis. You know, I really like Kambosis, especially back to the days that he was a sparring partner for Manny Pacquiao. You know, oh, yeah. the win against Teofimo Lopez was a huge win for him. It propelled him to, uh, I don't want to say superstardom, but it, it, that, that was a win that I think a lot of people were counting against him. Uh, however, he is a very solid B-side opponent. Um, you know, if he's able to cash out regarding a fight with Shakur Stevenson, that would be awesome. However, uh, Shakur Stevenson doesn't bring a lot of money to the table. He is an avoided uh, prospect, right? Uh, they're not prospect anymore. He, he has ascended beyond that at this point. Uh, but if it is a cash fight for Kimbosis, I don't blame him for wanting to take that fight. The guy is, I will say, old school kind of gladiator style warrior looking to take on these harder opponents. But after a performance like this against Maxi Hughes, uh, I just don't see how he beat Shakur Stevenson. Um, I know Tim Bradley was really upset. Uh, didn't he did not hold back any criticism on the on on air? Uh, claimed Hughes, Maxi Hughes, was robbed of the decision, uh, which you know I can't necessarily say I disagree with. Uh, Shakur Stevenson also expressed his disagreement with the outcome. But you know, Maxi Hughes, hopefully he's able to rebound from this this controversial decision. Unfortunately, this is the sport of boxing. I would like to see the referees held to. Uh, the judges as well hold to a higher standard. Hopefully we can find a way to mediate 
this type of situation to prevent them from happening. However, this wouldn't be the red light district of sports uh, if we did not have controversial decisions. Um, Kevin, we do have an upcoming episode where I sit down with Alden Chodash to discuss uh, Inouye versus Fulton this upcoming week, as well as at the end of this week, uh, Spence versus Crawford. Two huge fights for the sport of boxing. Um, how do you see, let me ask you your opinion, what do you see happening with Inouye Fulton? I, man, I love Inouye, everything about him, footwork, defense, offense. Like he's just, he's just like one of those guys that if you are tr- coming into the sport and you're trying to learn, like that's who you watch. Uh, I can't say anything bad about him. I really can't. Like he, he's proven that he's a world title holder. Like he, right. He's undisputed in his original weight class that he felt like the, what was it? He fought for the Muhammad Ali trophy and stuff, beat the Nair. But, um, yeah, he's bumping up and instead of mo- like what most guys do is trying to find someone of like a gatekeeper. He's just going straight for the big dogs. Um, I, I, it, Fulton's the underdog apparently in this. I would love to see Fulton bring home the, you know, uh, or bring home the win. You know, he's an American who doesn't want to root for an American. Um, he's not somebody that you hear of too much all, uh, lately or often, but of late you have because he's fighting in a way, which the only thing I'm, the, this fight I'm only upset about is on a Tuesday at like starting at 4 30 in the morning. But, you know, that's above, that's out of our control. Um, and he, you know, he, I think he's going to show us something that we, we haven't seen from him. I think his last fight, there was a little, uh, some people were upset when he fought, what's his name? Figueroa. Is that how you pronounce that guy's last name? Um, Figueroa. And I know, Figueroa, I'm sorry. Thank you. And I know he was upset at the, the controversial win. And because I remember in the post fight interview, they kind of like argued in the ring a little bit. But um, I've been watching uh, Fulton, some of his videos of him training. And he looks he looks slick. He looks clean. He looks good. He I think he's a this is gonna be a great matchup. The only thing is, is just gotta wake up early to watch it or you catch the replay. Awesome. Yes. Um what do you think regarding I guess Spence Crawford now? That's gonna be a week uh here just in at the end of this week. Uh if you were to make if you were a betting man, who would you go for? Oh man, every time I try to make a bet, it's always I always lose the bet. Um and I keep flipping every week. Someone asks me and I'll just flip my answer because I just can't decide. Like they're both like they're both at the like the pinnacle of the sport right now. Like Crawford, the one thing you hear about him is he's he's got the dog in him and he's uh he's ambidextrous, which is actually very scary because you don't see that too often because let alone there's guys that can barely fight in their their you know their original stance in the first place, whether that be orthodox or southpaw, but this guy can do both, which is very scary. Um Spence he was an Olympian. He he's been in the game for a while now, raised in it just like Crawford. He he's come. He's fought many many opponents, very caliber you know opponents. Um, I really don't know. Uh, they both have their good attributes. Like I said, Crawford's ambidextrous. I think he has a little more snap behind his punches. Um, I think he's a little quicker to the draw. Um, he does have the tendency to be a little too aggressive. I think sometimes in fights. Or you, you can tell like he's trying to, he smells blunt. He's trying to take his opponent on early, but sometimes he, you know, he'll have to pull back because it wasn't at the right time. But then Spence, uh, he's the bigger, naturally bigger opponent. This is his weight class. Uh, he has the heavier punches from what everyone keeps saying. Um, at the speed, I would just give it to Crawford a little more, uh, but Spence isn't no slots himself. And he's, he has a chin. 
uh, after that car crash. Who did he fight right after the car crash? Was it uh, Danny Garcia? Yep. And Danny Garcia's got popped. Now, I know people are going to say, oh, well, you know, he bumped up to that weight class. So, uh, um, still, you know, Danny Garcia's still a lethal opponent. And he he still took the challenge. And ever since the car crash, he has fought top-tier opponents. He's not backed down from anybody. He didn't take an easy fight after his car crash. So, you can tell, like, even after that accident, and we saw the photos where his face was kind of messed up. He didn't care. I think the worst thing was he said when he got caught against – you you guys, it's because he said his mouthpiece, his teeth were still being fixed, and so he was just afraid of losing his teeth. So when his mouthpiece fell out, he was worried like I need that, and then he got caught because you know you always gotta protect yourself, and he just kind of was worried in the moment of his own teeth. But you know, but he got he ate the hit, and he still he still won. So I I really don't know. I I keep flipping my answer on that. I have really no idea. I don't. And everyone keeps talking about it's gonna be a knockout. I really don't see one of these guys getting knocked. I really don't. I think they're both quality. Like, they're both very durable. I see this going to a decision. I'm afraid it's going to be a controversial decision. I'm, you know, unless it's a draw. Right. Well, hopefully, you know, this is the red light of all sports. So, uh, hopefully it doesn't come to a controversial decision. However, I wouldn't put it past uh, the sport itself to have and result in one. I say worst comes to worst. If there is a controversial decision, we get a rematch and then maybe even possibly a trilogy. However, that wraps up today's episode of The Weekend That Was with a small glimpse of uh, fights to come. Uh, Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. It's Jeff here. If you like today's episode, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and check out all of our other content on thefightcity.com. The website link can be found in our show notes. Till next time.